You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Welcome back, everyone, to the Primary Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr. Dimitri. I'm a family doctor who works in Gatineau, Quebec, in Ottawa, Ontario. I'm also a faculty lecturer at McGill. And today we have our Guru Dr. Shordner Wahid coming and joining us today, talking about ear problems. Wahid, can you hear me? <laughs> Thanks for having me back. <laughs> I can certainly hear you. I'm trying to do a segue into this topic. Uh, if you listen to our last podcast, Kevin had this amazing segue where he somehow linked his his uh, daughter's eating of popcorn into foreign aspirations in children. So I'm trying to segue into hearing loss by doing this. I'm actually going to start with a case that I had a couple of weeks ago. It was this gentleman who had congenital hearing loss on the right side. And he came in because he just suddenly noticed that his left ear, he couldn't hear much of anything, even when he had his hearing aid on. And I guess what he will start off by, by asking you, I mean, what's your differential there if somebody comes in with this acute hearing loss? What are you thinking about? The, the three things that I see most often is some sort of obstruction, mostly wax, but I've seen kids with stuff in their ears. Infection, which is the inner or outer ear canal infections, and then trauma. So I've seen uh, a few kids stick things in their ears and have trauma. I work in an area with a lot of scuba divers, and I've seen perforated eardrums that way. So those are my three big ones. And I would agree with that. I mean, I tend to see a lot of wax and um, infections, mostly in the in the walk-in that I that I work in. Now, in this in this gentleman, so I did an exam, and the exam included taking a look at the ear, and he had a bit of wax, and I removed the wax, and yet still at that time his hearing did not return, and I looked very well at the tympanic membrane. There was no infection whatsoever. So, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, that's a good point, and I, I'm sure that's what we're going to be talking about <laughs> yes, sooner exactly. or later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it also it also scares me when I can't figure out what the cause is, and people are still complaining of symptoms. Yeah, right. So, so I guess we're trying to get to the point of of today's discussion, which is we'll talk about something called sudden sensory neurohearing loss, and it's pretty much defined as what what that patient had is this acute. Of usually unexplained hearing loss usually happens in one side of the ear and it tends to occur within a 72-hour period. So it usually occurs within three days. Sometimes what people will do is they'll tell you that they wake up in the morning and then they just can't hear anymore from that ear. What happened in this gentleman is also is more common though is that progressively over a couple of hours to a couple of days they they lose their hearing and um, that's what happened to him. He had just noticed that he had, he had been driving his car and then by the time his trip was done he just couldn't hear on that side. Um, have you have you had any cases yourself, uh, Wahid, of sudden uh, sensory neurohearing loss? I can't think of any off the top of my head though. I have had people come in with hearing loss which they usually wait a, a week or two weeks. So to try and delineate whether it's a quick one or not has been uh, difficult. But in terms of management, it's uh, similar to what we're going to talk about later. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of people actually, many people will not come in, in initially 
and they might wait a bit because they might think, well, maybe maybe I have a bit of water wax in my ear or something's wrong with with my eardrum. Then you know get better, and often they'll wait. And the, the issue with sudden session your hearing loss is if you wait too long it, and you don't have treatment, it might be an issue. And now the other question that we need to discuss is, well, who is at risk? And um, it tends to be men and women pretty much equally. And tends to be people who are middle-aged. So my patient was also in his 40s. I think he was actually, no, I think he was in his 50s. And that tends to be when it hits. Initially enough, it seems to be associated with increased risk of stroke and MI. And that sort of makes sense because later on we'll talk about some of the etiologies of of, of, of this condition. And um, just something to think about. I guess it's not like a TIA where you have, if you have a TIA, you have to investigate them for a possible stroke, but it, it's a soft risk factor for that. So, so Wahid, do you know what, what are some of the causes for, for this condition? It seems to be a unknown cause, but there's some theories as to what could cause it, much like everything else in the face that if you can't figure it out, it could be a viral etiology, especially <laughs> right. something in the herpes family. So that's always a possibility. Um, as Always well as, blames herpes, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or uh, shingles. <laughs> <Your> shingles. <laughs> but the uh, other option could be, as you mentioned, maybe a vascular event, maybe some autoimmune or inflammatory condition, and which actually will reflect the type of treatment uh, which is recommended for that sort of situation. Right. It, it, you know, again, blame herpes or blame an autoimmune condition. That, that's usually what happens when you have an idiopathic presentation like sudden sensory near hearing loss. But, but you're right. So that's what they currently think is the cause of this. I guess the, my, my, my question to you is, and then that's a bit tricky, you have to realize that there's other conditions that can cause it. They can present with sudden sensory near hearing loss and that are quite a bit more dangerous. So what are some of the other conditions, specific conditions that will that, will, that as a symptom will have this sensory neuro hearing loss? Actually, there the differential is quite large, even though I didn't give much of a differential earlier. So it could be any of the things we talked about initially, but those are usually conduction uh, and not sensorineural. Neural. Yes, I have heavy trouble pronouncing it. And if, if you're uh, dealing with nerves, you have to consider things like Meniere's disease or labyrinthitis, though those also come with dizziness, so you got to kind of delineate that. As you also mentioned, it could be uh, stroke-related, but of course, hopefully there's other symptoms that help delineate that, maybe some other vestibular things. MS is, all, of course, always a possibility. Right, right. In, That's a good when, point. And there's a nerve-related issue. And then, of course, the big C is always on your differential. Cancer in around the acoustic nerve, acoustic neuromas, as they so are called. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that, that's a very good point, is that while most cases of sudden sensory neuro hearing loss are sensory neuro hearing loss, we'll get this, we'll get this, Wahid, are idiopathic, there's a certain subset that are caused by badnesses, such as cancer or or MS um, as well. So you, you sort of need to figure out what the cause is before you can call it idiopathic. Or if, I mean, really, it's you can call it idiopathic if you can't figure out what the cause is, I suppose. So let, let's get back to uh, to how it presents. Uh, so I mentioned there's usually get immediate or rapid hearing loss, sometimes starting in the morning when they wake up, sometimes evolving over three days. What are some of the other other uh, symptoms or 
other uh, symptoms that that te- people tend to get with this condition? So they seem to also might present with vertigo, but if it is vertigo, you got to actually think about those other causes, like mentioned with Meniere's and labyrinthitis. And some can also pre- present with tinnitus, but again, you got to be uh, uh, thinking about some of those other conditions if you are getting uh, additional symptoms. It also can present as more of a blocked ear or waterlogged, as you mentioned, or something along those uh nature so people may not take it as seriously if they have that sort of sensation to it yeah they've you know if they've had ear issues in the past you know they've been blocked in the past you're completely right and that's why as you said some some or a huge percentage of people might wait before coming in and yeah it's tricky because in fact most will have tinnitus and some will present a vertigo so it's a bit tricky to to tell apart from from something like uh, like many airs in a way although you know usually sudden sensation you're hearing loss is unilateral i was lucky that my patient had none of these he actually just had the hearing loss but again i can see that if it if it had other um, symptoms it'd be a bit trickier i guess we sh- we we mentioned the physical exam now do you I'm curious. I mean, I, I still do this, but I'm curious if you do it. Do you still do the Weber or Renee test? Like, do you, do you still use your tuning fork, Wahid? I mean, I still have mine from University of Toronto. Do you, do you still tend to use that? So I, I, I don't have a personal tuning fork. I always thought that was something that you learn in med school and never need to know again. But I, most of the clinics I work in have tuning forks. And uh, I, to be honest, haven't pulled it out for a hearing loss patient. Typically pull it out for my physical exams for testing people's hearing. Right. So so which which test do you do for them? Well, the, the one I do most is probably the Weber. Yeah, I mean, that's the one I do most as well. And the, so, so I guess for people out there who might not remember what that was or how to do it, do you want to just go over it for a second? Sure. So, so the Weber test is trying to localize which side is affected by what kind of condition. So with a Weber test, you activate a tuning fork, which is essentially uh, tapping it so that it starts to vibrate and stick it as close to the middle of the forehead as you can. (laughs) If it is a conduction loss, the sound will be actually louder in the affected ear than the unaffected ear. So for example, a left ear hearing loss would have a higher sound if you are sticking the doing the Weber test. However, in sensi We can do it. <laughs> sensory sensory neuro? <laughs> yeah. uh, if it's a nerve conduction issue, it actually sound louder in the opposite ear because the message is, of course, not being sent in the uh, affected ear. And then this, the way, it, again, it should make sense to our listeners. What's happening when you do the Weber is the vibration goes in, th- in through the skull and your cochlea is, is within your skull, right? So if your cochlea gets the vibration directly uh, because it can't get it due to a blockage of the canal, it will sound louder. So that's a conductive hearing loss. But if your cochlea is already damaged... Right. If it's already damaged, then there's a nerve problem. Then that side, that that cochlea will hear the sound less because it, it I mean, it's just damaged, and that's why the Weber is is useful. The issue with the Weber is it's a specific test. So if it's positive, then well, yes, there's something happening. If it's negative, you can't rule out hearing loss. The other test that sometimes is done, and I don't know if you do that yourself. I I don't tend to do it that much, but in this 
patient I did is the Rene. Do you remember how to do that one? Yeah, so the Rene test is you activate your tuning fork, you hold it up to the patient's ear, they will hopefully hear it. If not, you then uh, stick the butt end, if that's what it's called, on the, the tuning fork, <laughs> I think uh, so. on the mastoid uh, process behind the ear. Uh, and if it vibrates louder when you put it on the bone, then when you stick it up to the ear, you know it's a con conduction issue. In the same concept as you mentioned with the Weber test where the bone is vibrating and activating the cochlea mm -hmm. while it's not getting through the ear canal when you hold it out. However, if it is equal, it doesn't give us much more information, though it will likely be pushing on the neural kind of um, issue. issue. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, usually what it, they say, if it's equal and it's the affected ear, then you can assume it's likely a neural problem. So, so you're completely correct there. So if you're dealing with sudden sensory neural hearing loss, if you do the Weber, what would let's say the let's say it's my patient where it's his left ear that was affected. If you do the Weber, what would you see? So if you did the Weber, you would notice that the right ear would hear better right. than the left when you're doing the Weber test, and the bone and air conduction on the Rene test would be equal. Yeah, and the issue with my patient is he had right-sided congenital hearing loss, so the Weber obviously luck lateralized to the nerve that was that was still working so it, it was useless in my case the rene was actually equal in both cases now part of the physical exam is you want to rule out badnesses and one of the badnesses is stroke and there's actually the most common type of stroke that causes sudden hearing loss uh, what is that what is it uh, wahid it would actually be a posterior stroke in the cerebellar artery. So hopefully you would get also cerebellar symptoms, maybe a positive romber, maybe pronator uh, right. drift, finger-to-nose issues, things things that would make you wobbly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you usually have other symptoms. Uh, you know, if you're dealing with a verte vertebral artery dissection, which is another cause of this, you tend to have really bad occipital headache or neck headache. I haven't seen that in my life. I hope I never see it, but it, it has to be considered. But yes, yeah, stroke or the inferior cerebellar artery stroke is, is a cause of sudden hearing loss. So just be on the lookout, especially if they have a neuro exam, which means that you should do a full neuro exam on these people, right? Just Don't just do the, the hearing exam. If you do the, the otoscopic exam, you can't find the reason you should do a full neuro exam just to make sure nothing else is happening there. So again, in my patient... Um, the exam was done. I did the full neuro exam. I didn't find anything. So I was, had a high suspicion I was dealing with uh, with actual sudden sensory neuro hearing loss. And I ended up phoning the ENT surgeon. So I phoned the grown-up, right? Because this is actually considered a ENT emergency. Now, before I go ahead with what he told me to do, like, what, what, do you know what the treatment is, Wahid? What, what is suggested as treatment for this condition? So going back to the possible etiologies, when you have something vascular or something inflammatory, you go with the prednisone. Steroid seems to be the, the staple right. for things like this, like Bell's palsy and other neuropathic issues that we can't figure out the exact cause for. There's some suggestion that you might want to try antivirals, but really there's not very much evidence to support that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and because remember that the, the cause is idiopathic, so 
yes, certainly some of in some cases it's caused by a virus. Well, in others, it's not. So antivirals won't always work. Some people actually suggest giving them anyways, and I tend to be in that camp. But to be frank, the evidence is not very good for antivirals. It's just that they tend to be, uh, they tend to have very few side effects. And if you do want to give antivirals, you can just give Valtrex 1 gram TID for 14 days. In terms of the steroids, prednisone is usually suggested, anyways, from 50 to 60 milligrams, again, for 14 days. And actually, what what the ENT surgeon told me when I called him is he he gave him pre- he he, told, he said give him prednisone. And that's another point. If you're suspecting this condition, don't wait until the the surgeon sees them. Start the prednisone as soon as you can. Although, again, the evidence around the prednisone working is is not as clear as, for example, prednisone for uh, temporary arthritis. Right? It's it's not as clear. It, it seems to help, especially if you have severe hearing loss and people getting their hearing back. But it's 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 not clear how much it helps. It's still standard of mm-hmm. care, though. It's still standard yeah. of care, so you should do it. ENTs will sometimes even do steroid injections, intratympanic steroid injections. Uh, but again, that's not something you'll do. I'm, I've never done that myself. I don't think any no, family I, doctor I, ever do that. <laughs> I had a patient that actually went for that, and it was like the most painful thing really? he's ever gone through. Oh, my God. Well, I, I guess they're going with the needle right through the tympanic membrane, right? Is exactly. That... Oh, dear. And uh, you can't really freeze the tympanic membrane very well. Oh, that sounds like, like torture. Yeah. It, it, some, some, there's some evidence that if steroid, oral steroids don't work, the intertympanic steroids might work. But again, that's not your call, which, is, which going back to the point is if you suspect this, call grown-ups. So always call the anti-surgeon because they need to have follow-up. And in, in the audiogram, ASAP. Remember that the audiogram will actually help you with the diagnosis quite a bit because it can tell you what's happening. Now, what else do you need? Do you make? Do you have to make sure it's ordered in these patients? Uh, Wahid, except for the audiogram. At, at some point, you should get an MRI done to rule out all those badness. So right. the MS, the acoustic neuromas, the vascular issues, the strokes, because of course nothing that we are talking about will work for them if they have one of those other issues. <laughs> exactly. Well, steroids might help just a bit with the chair, that, but... <laughs> that's true. And it might actually help with MS too. So maybe we were not all off. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, we're laughing, but seriously, uh, you have to... And usually the ENT will take care of that. So, But if they don't, you have to make sure that at some point that patient gets... MRI imaging. MRI is the best because um, for that type of condition because it has the best resolution for posterior brain issues, right? Cerebellar and so on and so forth. CT scans can be done in some in, in people that can do MRIs, but again, most of the time the ENT will take care of this for you. So, Wahid, what's what's the prognosis for this condition? How many? What percentage of people tend to get their hearing back? It's actually not bad. About two thirds will get some hmm. recovery and. Uh, of course, the older you are, the less likely that is. And that is regardless of treatment, uh, though treatment does supposed to be an improvement on your recovery rates. Right. Yeah. So that, again, with the, the steroids, it's a bit of a unclear how much they help. They do seem to help some people, not not all. But yeah, two-thirds will, will, gain, will gain some sort of hearing back. People who, who are older and, and who present with vertigo tend to do worse, but, but it tends to be okay. And in, in my patient, remember, he had lost his hearing on the right side. So obviously, 
I did everything to try and preserve his left side of hearing. And for the family doc, it's mostly calling the ENT and making sure he's on steroids. So here, just to summarize, a sudden sensory near hearing loss is a condition that usually presents with acute hearing loss that tends to progress over three days. Usually it's unilateral, although in a small percentage case it's bilateral, usually presents with tinnitus and sometimes with vertigo. It's often idiopathic, although some bad conditions can cause this as a symptom. For example, acoustic neuromas or MS should be treated with steroids, maybe antivirals, depending on how you feel about them. So most people won't actually, but some people will give antivirals. You need to ensure that they have adequate follow up with an ENT surgeon and at some point have imaging to make sure they don't have one of the badnesses. Do you have anything else to add? No, I would also like to stress the call somebody smarter than you. Yes, call a grown-up, as, as Kevin and I used to say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and with that, thanks for coming by, Wahid, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.